to Love's Labour's Watched. I'm going to continue to say it, your favourite pop culture, arts, women-focused podcast. Still in isolation, but we're still going. Isn't that right, Francesca? We are, yeah. We're, we're doing okay, and we hope you are too. And we're excited to bring you another episode full of pop culture goodness. Yeah. Um, so this week... Um, we are going to, well, we've got some really exciting things kind of included in this episode, which is great. Um, we have an interview with the wonderful Nisha Dolan, uh, an author whose new book is coming out um, this week. And we yeah, also, 16th of April. Yep. And we also have um, some fun chats um, about, you know, culture and isolation and all those kinds of things um, and some fun announcements. Um, as well so lots to be getting on with um, just because you know we're still in separate rooms doesn't mean that we can't be providing fun content woohoo at least we tell ourselves that right (laughs) yeah and we have an upgraded tech situation going on this week I Mm. definitely feel closer to Helena which is nice yeah it's great I think um, it's actually been I will say it's been quite fun kind of like in investigating how to record podcasts remotely and uh, how to change the format or what the format needs Um, what the format can gain from sort of the current situation that we're in and I think that's something that I've been thinking about as well when it comes to kind of other forms of culture and creativity which we'll get on to later in the show but yeah it's kind of been you know there's blessings and there's also not blessings you know give and take well it's certainly been brightening our days to be able to get to speak to some authors whose books Mm. we've been enjoying Uh, you know last week we had the wonderful Holly Bourne talking Mm. about her book Pretending yeah this week, we have, as Helena mentioned, the author Nisha Dolan, who is a debut author whose first novel, Exciting Times, is out this week. So we rang Nisha up and we had a really interesting chat with her. Yeah. We talked all about her novel and the themes. We just had a really good discussion, didn't we? Yes, we absolutely did. Um, and it's as we always say, it's great to be able to talk to authors about their books because it provides us and then you with more insight um, as well as an author is a person who knows their characters best and an author is a person who knows their book best so it's really enlightening and, and really like a real pleasure to speak to so many authors and everyone has a everyone has something different to say which is really really great so um in that vein should we get started on um kind of introducing nisha and her book plan yeah so uh nisha she's an irish writer born in dublin she studied at trinity college in dublin and then she did a master's degree in Victorian literature at the University of Oxford. Um, her writing has been featured in the Dublin Review um, and The Stinging Fly, which some of us might know as a, a magazine that Sally Rooney worked on. Sally Rooney being the sort of it author, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nisha's work has been compared to Sally Rooney's. Uh, obviously, they're both young female Irish authors in their 20s talking about relationships and um the intricacies of human connection so there's definitely an interesting comparison there which I think Nisha herself welcomes um you know she's actually a a friend of Sally Rooney's uh but she's also she very much her work stands on its own as being really intriguing and thoughtful and she's written this brilliant book exciting times which is about the experience of a young woman who's just graduated from university trying to figure out what she wants to do Mm -hmm with her life and the kinds of relationships she wants to be in, the kinds of connections she wants to pursue. Uh, it all takes place in Hong Kong in um, around 2016, 
Um, so there's this really exciting backdrop of um, the city that she's just beginning to discover and the relationships that, that take place mm-hmm. in the city. So, yeah, it's a, re- a really great book. Um, and it was so exciting to ring up Nisha and, and chat all about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the book is kind of being... Um, we were lucky enough to receive an advanced copy um, and the book itself is kind of being pitched um, just kind of um, like Sally Rooney's as a really kind of um, insightful and intricate look into sort of the ways in which we kind of communicate with each other and the ways in which the kind of modern world that we're living in can influence that. You know, her characters talk a lot about, you know, class, Irish versus English, kind of the uh, Irish diaspora and also things like Brexit, actual relationships as well. And I think um, a lot of what Nietzsche herself wants to say comes out in the book. It's kind of one of those books. Um, So it's definitely one to get on the reading list if you want to sort of have a real sort of thinking with yourself about the times in which we live um, and the ways in which we live as well. You know, her book is populated by sort of like expats, as you might call them, you know, English speaking people who move to places like Hong Kong to teach English or to be a banker or, or something like that. And the ways in which our global culture kind of merges, but also the ways in which power lies there as well so it's it's a really interesting book and she had some really interesting insights about it that we were uh, definitely lucky to hear from her so uh, with that introduction hopefully being enough to give you a flavor of the book itself um, we can get started with the interview Well, first of all, um, obviously, Hong Kong um, is the setting for exciting times. Um, and the, the scenery and sites aren't necessarily at the forefront of the novel, but they do provide a particular backdrop for the events. Um, and, you know, you name drop different neighbourhoods um, and, uh, yeah, the, the subway system and all that kind of thing. Um, so did you always plan to set the book there? I think plan is probably a strong word for anything I did about the book. I'm extremely unanalytical in how I write. I just chose it and went from there. So there wasn't really any forethought put into anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Quite instinctive then, do you think? Yeah, I think I class writing more as a practical endeavour than an intellectual one which sounds silly because you're just pressing a limited set of keys to make combinations of words but in terms of being something that you lose sight of the fact that you're doing while you're doing it I think especially because I tend to be quite an anxious person so if I I made it something where I was constructing too much of a mental blueprint then I just get overwhelmed by all the options and not do anything so of necessity I think I don't think about it too much (laughs) yeah Fair enough. And did, does Hong Kong kind of feel um, familiar to you? I mean, we know you spent some time there. Yeah, um, it's very much the gaze of someone who's arrived there as an outsider and doesn't have a deep understanding of what it's like to be home to you. And I think that's all I could ever attempt mm-hmm. to portray. But that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. And sort of, yeah, in that vein, that leads us on really well to our next question, what you wanted to ask, which was so exciting times. It kind of feels like an examination of leaving home, particularly for sort of for Ava and in some ways for Julian, because both of them sort of move to follow jobs um, and also leaving like the comfort zone, not of your not only of your home country, but of your kind of home continent. I mean, so what kind of made you interested in putting your characters in a space like that? 
I suppose a couple of things. First of all, for Irish people, it's generally at your consciousness that you probably will have to leave home for at least a period. I grew up in the generation of Irish people who knew from our early teens there would be no jobs here, so it's difficult to write about Ireland without writing about that experience, whether it's other people going away, whether it's you. And then I think as well I have a long-standing interest in how it affects relationship dynamics when you have a limited social circle to draw on informing them. I love the novels of Charlotte Bronte for that reason, and I think it brings out something interesting and different in people when we see them in social contexts where people don't have a lot of background on what they're generally like. People can't rely on other people's opinions of them. It becomes a lot less automatic and a lot more about the particularities of what they display to you. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting what you said about the um, about you know the sort of small pool of characters. Um, and really, in the book, there are the you know the three characters of of Ava, the narrator, Julian, her sort of would be boyfriend, um, and then Edith, who she becomes increasingly enthralled by as the book goes on. Um, did you have a favourite character to write, or who or whose worldview you really enjoyed embodying? Yeah, I think I probably haven't been that subtle in the fact that I really like Edith and her ability to enjoy things. Yeah. <laughs> it's refreshing when you have populated a novel with people who don't necessarily share that trait. Mm. Yeah, and I sort of, coming on from that, I mean, you have your kind of quite young characters. There's that sort of sort of millennial aspect, I suppose, and you could call it, I suppose, there's that millennial malaise that characters and people in our generation sometimes feel of knowing what the future might look like and wanting to kind of fight against that, but also kind of feeling a bit helpless. Um, and there's also a lot of kind of discussion of kind of race, class and gender, particularly kind of in Ava's mindset. Um, and that is actually kind of quite universal in lots of ways. And did you kind of know that you were creating that universality or were you more sort of interested in discussing those issues in quite a specific way? Um, I suppose it depends on the given lens. I don't know if millennial is something I consider a useful term for discussing Irish perspectives mm -hmm. because it's based on the generational analysis where the previous ones enjoyed a near universal sense of prosperity. So it makes sense for Americans or people in the UK, but I think the Celtic Tiger was a lot more short-lived mm -hmm. and felt a lot more tenuous even as it was happening. So I'd describe it more as an Irish aspect than a specifically born after 1980 yeah, fair enough. Yeah. but I think <clears throat> as well we still tend to assume universality of non-marginalized experiences or even of um, forms of privilege that don't announce themselves so I wouldn't describe Ava as alert about race because mm -hmm. she's a white person who explicitly references the fact that she's white I describe her as having a type of racial consciousness that isn't shared by white characters who don't do that mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily that she has any more nuanced or intelligent appreciations of the issues surrounding <laughs> that it's just in not announcing something about yourself you're announcing a different kind of perspective on whether you view that as a universal identity yeah yeah and sort of leading on from that um 
you know, Julian studied at Oxbridge um, and he discusses that and Ava has conversations with him about that, um, that aspect of his education. Um, and Edith also um, went to Oxbridge. Um, so I wondered what kind of prompted you to sort of take a bit of a critical eye to this institution um, and where, where that kind of theme came from. Sure. Um, I think similarly, it just arose from the characters and from how I thought they would feel about having gone to those places. And I I think as well, it, the interesting thing is I wrote the first draft before I'd had any first-hand experience, but then I edited after I'd been to Oxford myself. Oh, okay. And I think you do get jaded about it anyway if you know people who've gone because frankly, most of them are in no way special. <laughs> but I think you have an extra layer of that if you've gone yourself. So yeah. um, probably that also landed a certain lack of sentimentality around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that also kind of extends to, you know, the Oxbridge idea, you know, um, Julian is connected by Oxbridge friends around the world. And equally, um, Joseph Julian and Ava kind of benefit from this connected Englishness. Um, you know, Ava herself is a TEFL teacher and she comments quite a lot about how she knows that the students, you know, she asks the students she works with, you know, why do you want to learn English? And all they can really say is, you know, we know English because we need to know it. And there's an interesting point made by Joan, um, I believe as well, if I'm wrong, who kind of points out that, or maybe it's Julian. Oh, I'm getting confused. But there is a point made by one of the characters to Ava um, that perhaps it's not so much about, you know, Hong Kongers going to learn English and not being aware of the reasons why they're learning and why the power balance is there. Um, is that something you kind of wanted to include from the beginning, that sort of critique of Englishness, um, English kind of hegemony around the world? Or um, is it more something that kind of came through as you wrote? Um, I, I suppose similarly, I didn't have any intellectual aspirations for the book, but mm. I was attempting, I suppose, to not lie about things. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't state something like that and you just leave it that this white character from an Anglophone country is going abroad to teach English. Yeah. But, people might make other assumptions so yeah I suppose just trying to be honest to the motivations of the characters as I saw them and a white Irish character is in an interesting position in that respect because we tend domestically to portray ourselves as solely the victims of colonialism which completely makes sense yeah. in an us versus England slant on things but then in the 21st century obviously you have things like us being sent to do these jobs that locals are perfectly qualified to do mm-hmm. and viewed as having a linguistic authority that doesn't even match with the English that we actually speak. It becomes a lot more complicated, obviously. So I think the role of fiction isn't necessarily to advance a polemic around any of those things. And I think this utterly fails as a polemic because it doesn't even take a final position on anything. It's just portraying. But that maybe there's use in portrayals too because I think it's worth considering issues without having to arrive at a final position off the bat. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to put it, actually. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and to sort of switch tack a little bit, um, we, we just really like the title of your book, um, and I, I kind of like how it's ironic, but also potentially not ironic, because actually a lot of the events in the book um, are very meaningful and, and significant, uh, particularly for Ava. 
Um, but I understand that it was originally called Edith and Julian, which also I think is a really good title and, of course, is very fitting with what happens in the book. Um, so, yeah, I wonder how you came to decide on Exciting Times as being the, the final title. Yeah, so Edith and Julian, as you probably picked up on, was <laughs> intended as a play on the expectations for a title like that. Um, engenders in you because it sounds like a conventional heterosexual regency romance or something mm-hmm. yeah. and then you discover that it's a gay book with all these ambiguities yeah. um, but ultimately we felt that if you didn't know that about the book the title might put you off because um, it leads you to expect exactly the kind of book that this isn't yeah. so we tried to find something that would have that same playful aspect to it but that wouldn't rely as much on having read the book to get it so mm-hmm. we thought exciting times would draw you in a bit more yeah and exciting times is sort of is a sort of linked to there's a, a line in the beginning i think um where julia literally says exciting times is it linked to that or did that kind of come in reverse um yeah i mean i guess it's linked to that it's one of those things where you have a particular phrase, but then you can think of so many different things that it evokes as well. Yeah. So I, I think at the start, it's definitely that sense that it's meant to be exciting times, yeah. both in terms of life stage and in terms of changes. Um, and then, yeah, so things unfold and become exciting or not. I mean, my inbox is a mess at the moment because everyone is aware that everyone else will have made the well, it's exciting times indeed, isn't it? So, <laughs> so they try to like show awareness that that's out there in the canon of things that I'm being emailed. <laughs> so it's sort of, you know, it's uh, realistic and it's fictional and, you know, it's crossing those two planes, you know, it's all very, you know, meta, isn't it, at this point? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and it's really funny because um, a few months ago, I feel like people were saying a lot more like, oh, it's too real. And now it's like, it's this escapist window yeah. into a world where we were allowed to touch people outside our media family. So um, I hope it brings us comfort in um, this setup where that's no longer the case. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, was, it does... Um... It does have a, a sort of comforting feel to it. There's, you know, there's a lot of descriptions of like interiors, um, and you know, I think it has. It, the book does have a kind of coziness about it, um, even though the characters are dealing with, you know, some pretty tricky emotional situations at times. So, yeah, I think it definitely, uh, definitely will provide that comfort read for everybody. Yeah, That's for sure. Interesting because I am so interested in Victorian literature, and I feel like it's not immediately obvious from my prose style. But I do think I place that importance on setting the scene and mm-hmm. just maybe a, a bit more spare in how I go about it. Yeah, I definitely found that. And, you know, I especially like the descriptions of Ava sort of moving between places. I, I've been to Hong Kong um, myself a few years ago, back, you know, you know different times. But yeah. uh, and I do remember sort of the levels of Hong Kong and the move. You know, she mentioned like a restaurant block with more than 30 restaurants in it and moving up through Central and things like that. And I think like even for someone who hasn't been there, you get a real sense of sort of the specific specificity in some ways of Hong Kong and of place and then of how that informs how Ava, Julia and Edith themselves kind of able to interact with themselves and kind of with each other. Yeah, and in a way, I think it's ended up being perhaps you too. For all, all this hit us, it was hitting them and then the protests um, starting that summer. So yeah. it's, I suppose, ended up being intended at the time, at the time I was just trying to be reflective of what it was like but 
publishing is slow. So here we are. Yeah, because there's some. I know. I know that it's kind of set through late 2016, 2017, and then you have some references to Brexit politics and things like that. It's interesting to see the yeah. way the characters talk about Which, again, it. Again, feels like now just simpler times. Remember when we were just worried about things that the UK deliberately was doing. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and I think we mentioned there um, sort of um, um, people kind of emailing you saying, you know, oh, exciting times, haha. And then also your own sort of, you know, um, like of Victorian literature and how that inspires you. Um, there's also been sort of this big, com- not big comparison, but you're sort of walking along in the same kind of footsteps, I'd say, as someone like Sally Rooney's career, particularly in the UK and how she's been picked up. And obviously Sally Rooney kind of worked with you and her your work was in The Stinging Fly and things like that. Um, how do you kind of feel about sort of the link between you and Sally Rooney, particularly in terms of how the media talk about I suppose I'd see it as more a journalistic and marketing thing than Mm -hmm. something that has any effect on how I write yeah because um it's just so external you know like it's mostly people who haven't read either of our books to be honest yeah um, (laughs) and I feel like if it's made at a literary level in future I can consider the literary aspect of it without attaching particular importance to it just because of a given name but I mean also like we're friends like she was a couple of years above me at uni and I feel like we're being discussed more as cultural signifiers than as people which is completely fine because obviously if you only know us as cultural signifiers how else can you discuss us and I'd be way more uncomfortable if people who didn't know us were discussing us as anything else yeah (laughs) yeah, it's, it's all a little bit removed from me and my laptop in a way yeah fair enough yeah that makes sense um and on a sort of similar note of, of how people um, are receiving your book and your story, I feel like novels by young female authors are often kind of frustratingly assumed to be autobiographical. Um, and like that's just where people's mind goes. They're like, oh, you must have had this exact experience or you must have been exactly like this character. Um, have you had to contend with that question? And how do you approach um, answering it? If, or do you try and put that on you? Yeah, um, I get it a lot. I found it annoying at first because it is based fundamentally in the assumption that women can't make things up, which yeah. takes us <laughs> below primary school children. You know, when I wrote three sentences about my dog went to the shop, no one asked me if I had a dog. Yeah. <laughs> As a woman in your 20s, you're not afforded that basic artistic credence, which is irritating. But um, I, I suppose ultimately... If, if you just unpack it, it's obvious how absurd it is. Like, if I said, oh, yeah, actually, this is all true. A conventional three-volume novel happened to me in this precise structure. <laughs> people would be like, ah, oh, come off it. Like, the only reason they think that it must have really happened is because you're claiming that it didn't. Yeah. We just have this cultural addiction to believing that women are lying or to trying to undermine the, their intentions, whatever those may be. Like, I'm quite confident that if I attempted to publish an autofiction book, people would accuse me of fabricating the whole thing Um, in a now infamous phrase take it on the chin (laughs) yeah yeah fair enough I mean that's definitely something that we we we, um, like to we have and like to interview you know mainly female authors talking about kind of female issues and things like that and there's always that sense of I found that like most people feel close to the work that they've written the characters they've written because obviously they wrote them they believe in them and they want to tell their story but beyond that it's been 
No, we have think we found one author who said, yes, this happened specifically to me in this specific way. And I'm just writing a fictionalized account of my life. Like that hasn't actually really happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think the way that writing is actually personal is a lot less easy to make sound sexy, which is you're projecting a chain of reactions based on previous things. And even if the first thing is very different to you, so like take someone like Julian, I'm still making assumptions about what someone like that would say and how they would behave mm. based on something that I've just caused to happen to them. So it's all modeling going on with my brain. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but that sounds way less interesting than going, yeah, I had a threesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. And like, I think, um, it, part of the reason people kind of ask that question is I think people are so fascinated by the process of writing and yeah. you know, they, they wonder how, because so many of us have the idea that like, oh, I should write a book, I would like to write a book. So then when you meet someone who has, you're kind of like, how did you do it? Oh, it must be that you, you know, you had these incredible things happen to you that you then wrote about. But um, obviously, as you say, that that's actually, it's quite different from that. Um, but right now, obviously, we're living in this like very weird time where you know, for lots of us, it's a very stressful period um, and people are suddenly having to work from home or looking after their kids from home and, you know, quite possibly worrying about financial issues with, you know, jobs being uncertain. Um, but for, for some people, it might happen that this period of kind of pause might inspire or promote creative pursuits um, and be an opportunity to kind of finish a book or, um, you know, start writing your own poetry or, or whatever it might be. Um so I wonder if you did have any advice for anyone who might be hoping to finish a novel or, or to start a novel or even just to find a way of like writing to kind of get through, um, you know, the, the ups and downs of um, well life in general, but also specifically like the, the current situation we find ourselves in. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, life in general, my name is, <laughs> don't take advice from me. <laughs> um, regarding writing, um, I think, first of all, not to pay too much attention to all the pettiness and spitefulness on Twitter and in other places, because I'm seeing relatively little of people honestly saying, I want to write a novel in this time, and a lot of people speculating on how bad they think those novels are going to be, or how can anyone write at a time like this, and mm. just putting other people down, and I think there is a lot of that negativity, which springs from the fact that if writers are on social media they're probably frustrated about the fact that they're on social media and not themselves writing so honestly yeah. my advice would be don't take advice from anyone who's on twitter and not writing because they're not following their own advice yeah. or if they are then it's bad advice because it's resulted in them being on twitter and not writing um i think as well just having a certain blind faith in what you're doing which is valuable at any time but especially at a time when no one's really sure what's going to happen to human civilization and by extension to British publishing. Yeah. So, yeah, just um, keeping the head down. And if you're not enjoying it, there's probably no point in doing it. I, I believe that of writing in general. It's a grossly inefficient way to make money or get famous compared to other things that you could do with your time towards those goals. So it has to be something that you enjoy in its own terms. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I think that's definitely definitely good advice and a good way to look at it. I think writing can be so right. I mean, writing can be so fun and a great outlet, but you also have to think about the fact too that it is a tough world out there. Yeah, particularly now, even more, more so now. Um, 
And yeah, also in the similar kind of vein, I guess we like to ask this question to kind of everyone we talk to. Um, um, so we like female, we like talking about female focused literature, film and television. Oh. And <laughs> there are there any sort of like books or movies or TV shows or anything really that you'd want to highlight or champion that may be coming out this year or even if it's been postponed, anything you want to kind of highlight or talk about? Yeah, um, I, th- I think the main book I'm looking forward to is Earthlings by Sayaka Murata. Um, mm-hmm. She wrote Convenience Store Woman, which oh, yeah. is fantastic. I, like, it is, I think it's the book that I'd most universally recommend, if that makes sense. It's like, yeah, absolutely. For anyone who can find something to enjoy in that book. I'm not sure when exactly it's out. I think it's out this summer in translation from Japanese. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, really anticipating that one. And then I'm not sure when the next series will be out, but there's a series three of Dairy Girls apparently in the works. I don't know um, how present events will impact that. I assume they will, but um, it, it's really great. Yeah. And, um, in terms of both prominently featuring women and having a distinctly Irish sense of humour, I think it's one to look out for whenever it comes out. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, my my sister has been really into Derry Girls for a few years, few years now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'll definitely have to use that as one of my one of my isolation um, isolation Netflix binges. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a definite binge. <laughs> yeah, I love Dairy Girls, and I was actually just thinking I should rewatch it. And also, I was thinking, when is the new series? Like, I feel like we need it in our lives right now, you know? Like, it will... yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they can make it a socially distant Dairy Girls if they have to. I, I don't <laughs> care how <laughs> anachronistic it is. I would watch those girls just facetiming each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. Maybe. That's certainly an idea, isn't it? Like, how many shows are we now going? I mean, who knows what they're postponing? But I mean, there's certainly there's some space for some really interesting new creative formats in this space, isn't there? Um, yeah, I yeah. think in a way, budget is going to have a much lower impact on anyone because most of that goes into setting. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's interesting. Um, one of the other questions we always ask our guests is, you know, like especially when someone's written a novel, you know, could you see your novel being adapted into a different format? Uh, but while we were thinking about that question this time, I was thinking, well, obviously, yeah, a lot of TV shows, a lot of films have kind of gone on hiatus at the moment. Um, but I could actually really imagine um, exciting times as, well, I think it would work really well as a play, but also like a radio series or, you know, because it's so much about dialogue and communication um and miscommunication sometimes as well uh, i think that could be a really interesting format for for the book but i don't know if you in a sort of ideal dream world that you fantasized about it being a movie or being a tv show or or are you just kind of enjoying the fact it's a book right now <laughs> how do you feel about that yeah i suppose i tend to be quite dialogue heavy as a writer and i find myself constantly having to dial it back because on the page it doesn't work to give someone too much of a monologue without hearing their inflections and seeing their face move and all the rest of it and all the bits of small talk between the characters and stuff that might tell you something about them on the screen just come to seem superfluous on the page so Mm. I'd be really interested in seeing that kind of stuff branched out but I suppose I try not to speculate too much about it because if it were done, I'd want it to be taken on as its own endeavour. I don't go in for that 
this isn't like the book thing at all because <laughs> it amazes me how many people think they've made an intelligent criticism by pointing out that a film is not in fact a book. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you appreciated materiality of objects. What next? <laughs> Fair enough. And I know that um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It gives an interesting... Um, not new life, but continued life for books. You know, I think Sally Rooney's uh, Normal People has been adapted already. Um, yeah. And, um, and yeah, certainly if it's done right and it's done in the right spirit and arguably, as Jessica said too, the right format. And I think it can really bring extra life to it. Um, but then again, you don't want it to become sort of, you know, a book that, I don't know how about how you'd feel, but I personally don't really love it when books become films and then the film the book becomes wholly identified by the film you know and they change the cover and everything like that to the film poster and everything like that and you sort of realize that it's being subordinated to the mass marketing ability of the film instead yeah i suppose it depends on who it's subordinated to doesn't yeah. it <laughs> like it, i i mean it can be subordinated to florence Pugh or someone until the end of time and i'll be grand with that <laughs> Fair enough. Is like, absolutely florence Pugh is always okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thanks so much for uh, taking the time to speak to us today um and uh yeah best of luck with the publication of the book um and uh, we hope to read more by you very soon. Are you working on anything at the moment? Like, no pressure. Like, you don't have to tell us. Or also, <laughs> don't want to add to the pressure of like what you might be doing next. But we would love to read more of your work in the future for sure. Oh, brilliant! And um, thank you. It, it's really nice getting to have an in-depth discussion about it, and I hope provide something different for people who've already read a one interview with me or whatever. So. Thanks so much to Nisha uh, for talking to us. It was, as we said, such a great honour to have her on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talking about her debut novel. Um, coming out in a slightly weird time, but I think as we were saying on the call, it's a time when we're all reaching for pop culture to comfort and uh, provide a source of connection from to the outside world, which we might not be able to go out in in the same way as we can usually. But yeah, it was just such a delight to read the book and then to speak to her. Um, and for any American listeners, um, the book is due to come out in the US on the June the 2nd. Mm -hmm. So you haven't got too long to wait to get yes. reading it either. Absolutely. And the one great thing, at least in the UK, um, is that um, the book kind of the book wholesale people, people like gardeners, for example, who actually do the distribution to bookshops and things like that from publishers, they're able to still keep going. So independent bookshops, while some of them are closed, their bricks and mortar actual shops are closed their online presence has not had to be stopped so we definitely recommend getting out there buying books from your local retailer buying them from waterstones you know um amazon is not the only place to go and um these you know companies need your support but they also are, are able to fulfill your orders so definitely yeah get ordering buy some books have a great time i mean that's what i'd be doing if i didn't already have like about 10 books on my bookshelf that I have not read and I just look at them all day every day now just being like don't <laughs> don't judge me please I did um do a, a Waterstones order which is very exciting Ooh. um because I, I feel like I do miss that kind of being able to go into a bookstore and just kind of look at like the new releases yeah. and look at all like the beautiful copies of the books you know even if like you know that you don't really need any new ones it's always exciting yeah. um and I actually never really ordered 
books a whole lot like I did at uni when we were at uni and we would buy like textbooks and things but yeah. ordinarily I tend to just kind of go and buy them from stores so um yeah I had quite a fun time browsing Ooh, and adding yeah. them to my basket no. and then they arrived and that was great oh it's so, so exciting so what, what what did you order let let us know what did you what did you get okay so an interesting array I got um Maggie O'Farrell's new book Hamnet Ooh. which has been quite talked about yeah um which um is this book about Shakespeare and his wife Anne Hathaway and how they had this son called Hamnet so not Hamlet but Hamnet, <laughs> Hamnet. Um, who sadly died quite young and then she's kind of exploring like that situation and what that grief must have mm. the impact that grief must have had on their marriage which yeah. supposedly wasn't great anyway um, and also why Shakespeare maybe called his his called one of his most famous protagonists Hamlet given that that was such a similar name to prodigal his son's son name. yeah um but it's probably not necessarily although uh, you know love slave has watched we obviously like Shakespeare it's not like I would necessarily have gravitated towards that plot I think but I was reading these incredible reviews and, and it was on the women's prize um shortlist as mm. well so I thought that seemed like a good one it's also a really beautiful copy yeah um and then I ordered uh Bernadine Evaristo's book girl women other which i still haven't read um having intended to read it pretty much since it came out but um i'm excited to get into that because i've heard really good things mm-hmm. um and also i think that's i think it, you know definitely from what i understand it touches on some some darker issues but it also is kind of uplifting so that could be quite a good one yeah. right now and then the third book i ordered um was a, a classic so i recently saw the um the movie David Copperfield, you saw it as well. Yes. Well, right. Yeah. Um, the the new adaptation. And I really enjoyed it and realised I'd never read the Dickens book, um, that it's obviously based on. So I thought that could be a good lockdown read. Yeah. Get into like nice a, and long, yeah. Know, proper like six hundred page novel. Yeah. Um and I feel like I re- I really loved that film. Like you know when you go see something and you enjoy it at the time, but then afterwards it kind of sits with you and you find yourself still thinking about it and almost enjoying it more yeah afterwards yeah um as well as obviously enjoying it in the moment but just like having that kind of like afterlife of the film i found that movie definitely sort of did stay with me so i was like oh maybe maybe i'll read the book uh yeah so that was my that was my waterstones order yeah oh that's fun see i love yeah i love hearing about these kind of things because it's like um you know i'm always there being like so what's everyone? we do these group zoom calls now and everyone's doing them and you're just like so what are you doing what are you up to like tell me what you're up to um even just in terms it's really fascinating yeah it? yeah like people on my, one of my family friends zoom calls um someone was talking about like picking backgrounds for their zoom virtual background so as to look like oh yeah you know look like they were in a library or, and they were doing anyway it's just like people were like are you, are you in a library and they were like no it's my virtual background so yeah I think that yeah it's weird how people seem to think sometimes that virtual backgrounds are your actual background <laughs> yeah. like some people someone was like why are you in a bar and I was like well obviously I'm, I'm not, not in an actual <laughs> bar this is my virtual background <laughs> yeah so I do think that like there are ways in which we can um you know ways in which that you can kind of have have fun um, with the resources available to you and with the kind of life that we're having to live and obviously this is uh, comes with massive disclaimer in that life is difficult for a lot of people right now so I don't want to make light of what's going on but you know I think there is also some enjoy so some little joys to be found things like that so that's something that actually I wanted to talk about on the podcast today was to just get us chatting about like 
small fun things that we've been doing in this week that to talk about um so i'm gonna throw this one on to you francesca first like what's like a i don't know a little fun anecdote like the waterstones order that you want that you could talk about for <laughs> this week i mean i think an interesting thing i've been thinking about is that um so there's obviously been a lot of talk about video calls and you know the rise of zoom and house yeah. party and, and how great that is as a way of connecting with friends when you can't see them in person but one thing i've think- been thinking about is that ordinarily like in a week you know, I will see, physically see friends who live close by, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously you um, and our other London friends and, and colleagues. And, and that's great. And that's, I always really enjoy that. Um, and then I might connect via video call or speak on the phone to friends who live further afield. But it's probably not something that happens every week necessarily, mm. just because we're all busy living our sort of social lives of our, you know, immediate um, circle of people yeah. who are close by. But I found in the lockdown, I've been connecting with people from like literally all over the world who are my friends, who I want to see and want to speak to. But so basically, like my social life has kind of gone international in a way that I think is is so great. And obviously, that's always there for us. But Mm. ordinarily, it's just a little bit more tricky with everyone's schedules and time zones. And but because we're all kind of living this sort of slightly unusual lifestyle of being much more confined to our homes we are much more free so you and i have been able to chat to our friend faye who gets a lot of shout outs on the podcast we who do doesn't love live in the same that country as us um and that's been so lovely and so nice to have that immediacy yeah um, so i have been really enjoying that um also i think like everybody i have been really appreciating the moments when i have gone outside and one thing in terms of nature that i've been noticing oh. is that there are far fewer airplanes in the sky um barely any really uh given oh, yeah, that was pretty much grounded so i've been noticing that you can hear birds so much more clearly um obviously it depends where you are um, mm. there are some places where the birds are more free than other places <laughs> yeah. um but it's it's so lovely to kind of have that moment of like just that you wake up and maybe hear birdsong when you open your window and um i think that's kind of grounds you in nature and reminds you that the natural world is kind of ongoing and yeah um yeah so although it is quite funny when I've I have been on work calls where people have like complained about other people's birds uh, which is kind of amusing <laughs> All the bird not complained in like a bad way but just been like what is that noise and people are like yeah it's the birds <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah I don't know how what about you what have you been kind of finding like tiny pleasures in yeah well um it's been quite nice I mean so I'm I'm in my flat right now for reference um in south south london with uh, my boyfriend yeah don't give your address helena <laughs> no don't don't know my, my boyfriend my flatmate his boyfriend and my also my flatmate um and it's just been sort of been we've you know we've all been living on living together um and you know you try and fill your days with things you know to do and I think one thing that we managed to do which I'm really pleased about is we so the weather is getting a lot nicer and we had all these plans last year to do like some you know magnificent garden parties um and obviously that has not that's not going to translate now but um the weather's been lovely here over the past week in London so we did the garden uh, and my boyfriend got very excited actually I didn't expect this um he loves digging you know he has his muscle tea out he's got his american news on uh, on the speaker and he's just <laughs> digging away so we got three of us got quite a lot of work done the garden now looks less like a sort of you know less apocalyptic 
than it did. It kind of fit mm. the fit the COVID nineteen theme, and it actually looks somewhere you somewhere it's more habitable. So that's been really fun. I got to spend oh, lots of time nice. outside, you know, chatting to my flatmate and um, you know digging and you know you know all this. And it was so yeah, that connection with nature has been really fun. And like today, we went out for a quick walk. Um, and the sun, it was ridiculous. Um, you know, we were walking east and the sun was huge um, over this railway bridge. It was big and like bright orange red. And it, I haven't seen anything like it. And it must be something to do with the season. But it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it, the weather was really warm and sort of like balmy. And it kind of felt a little bit like when you step off a plane in a foreign country that's warm for your summer holiday. And you get that sort of humid mm. air smell. It's Everything smells really good. I don't know what it is. Everything smells great. Perhaps it's the lack of cars. You know, I live on what is called yeah. a, one of the most polluted streets in London. And so we get a lot of buses, a lot of cars. Um, so perhaps the lack of people, the less people driving around means that, you know, the air is fresher. I don't know. So it was really, really nice. And I really enjoyed it, actually. So I think that connection you get to have with yourself as a person a, a bit more and you're, you're disconnected from the normal things that pull your brain every which way. So it has been quite nice to sort of settle into myself a teeny bit more and then do the things that I meant to do and didn't have time to do. Um, also, I found a fun fact. Um, so uh, just in terms of like nature, it reminds me of like nature poets. So it's like, you know, enlightened Victorian era nature poets like Byron or yeah. Wordsworth. You know, you read about their pe- read about their lives. And I read a tweet the other day that really made me laugh about their petty rivalries. And it was like, I think Byron or someone called Wordsworth Turdsworth to his friends um, or someone else called. <laughs> yeah. And someone else called Verdi um, Murdy. As in, ba- as in shit in French. Oh my gosh. Um, so that really made me laugh as well, as the idea of like, you know, the idea that people have been saying like, oh, you should be able to write Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a plague or like, you know, if you're in self-isolation, you can produce these great works of art and think about the pettiness of the great artists uh, made me laugh quite a lot. So um, yeah, those are the kind of things I've been, I've been thinking about and, and enjoying. Um, and yeah, yeah, nature. I think nature is the key thing to connect with. It's That's a- what we can gain. Definitely. And it's so funny because when you said that about the, the you know, romantic poets, when I was talking about the birds, I did feel a bit like this sounds like such a cliche of like yeah. something that Wordsworth would say. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, especially in our very busy kind of London urban lives, although, you know, we always value the moments where you like go to a park, you're still very like focused on like, oh, how am I going to get home on the train? Mm. And like, you know, the cars going past and it's yeah. hard to escape completely from that from that just like yeah the urbanness of the city Mm. um and it would be rare that i would really sort of notice birdsong or notice the how the sun was shining really um or if i did it would just be like a minuscule moment before i then moved on to the next thing i was thinking about and i think we as you say we're kind of not doing that at the moment we're not our thought process and our thought patterns are kind of changing Mm mm-hmm Obviously, all this is to say, as you say, that like, you know, everybody's in very different situations right now and some people are going to have in- incredibly worrying stuff going on. Um, and I think we've all got as well to a degree, um, differing degrees, obviously, that kind of underlying level of like slight panic. Yeah. Um, but I think that's why if you can kind of seek refuge in in like the natural world, that is really nice. Mm. Um, and of course, sunshine always makes you feel better, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, for like, sure. Walking in the sun or even just having your, your window open and feeling the sun coming in yeah so yeah, yeah I think it is really nice to have that um and it is obviously also great to have moments where you you know you can sit and read 
you, you might not have a garden, but being able to open your window and have the sun coming in while you're sitting reading or mm. in the evening, getting your glass of wine and watching a movie or, you know, that is still very, yeah, also and, very much appreciated. And the lockdown life can be kind of vaguely amusing. I mean, like, you know, I, I'm always there being like time for my state sanctioned exercise. And, you know, I've been taking my dog <laughs> for I've been booking my dog in for sort of try weekly walks. I take him away from my parents' house and then I um, walk him somewhere and then bring him back and go home. Um, and uh, we were out at Greenwich Park the other day um, with him. And uh, it's it's just funny that there were like four police cars patrolling the greens, telling people to stop sitting around. Mm. And if you're not exercising, go home. And I saw somebody who'd set up a badminton net and they were playing badminton in the park. Right. And I'm like, I don't know where this, I stand for this. Like they're exercising, but they're also doing it in a place. Like you're not meant to be still, you're meant to be sort of moving around and going home, not like mm. exercising by setting up a badminton net in the park and then doing it, I don't know. But um, yeah, and then, you know, with a dog, you always have an alibi, right? People are like, you're like, well, my dog needs to walk. My, yeah. my dog needs walking. I have to walk with him. So uh, we, we walk past Barney with Barney and the police sort of like patrolling past. Reminds me of like Crona de in 101 Dalmatians when she's looking at all the doors for where the puppies are you know it just anyway it's it's, it's, a, it's a silly association yeah. but yeah it's, just, it's a bit surreal um, it is a bit surreal that's very but true but yeah it's funny you said because I saw um I saw two guys cycling who then stopped took off their shirts bearing in mind it's been sunny um and then started smoking it's <laughs> like Okay. Yeah, it is quite surreal. And I think that there are definitely moments of humour in the just general surrealness yeah. of the situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely think I've been also really seeking or finding uh, solace in routine. Um, and f- for me, still being kind of logging into my, my like, day job and mm. it, it's like a big thing. But also doing this, like doing our podcast and the yeah. fact we can still do this is, is great. Um, but yeah, on that kind of note of like finding, you know, finding things to enjoy in this weird time, what like pop culture stuff have you been enjoying? Um, other than obviously the books that we've been discussing, is there anything that you wanted to shout out? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, first off, we've been doing, uh, we've been like doing our best to sort of highlight anything interesting that like everyone can get involved in on our Twitter. Um, you know, if we see... Um, any free live streams or things like that um, will will highlight them. So definitely I've been getting access to things which I've really been enjoying in terms of like theatre, for example. I mean, National Theatre Live ran their first one last Thursday, which was um, One Man, Two Governors, which was with James Corden as the man who has two governors. And I've seen it before, but not with him yes. in it. And the, the, t- the titular role. The t- yes, he, yes, he, yeah. Oh my gosh, it, it's worked. Um, and yeah, he was fantastic. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. Um, um, and I know you watched it too. And I think a bunch of people I saw yeah. on Instagram who are, I know are my friends were all watching it together or gotten dolled up or I think it was you who said that like yeah. somebody's, yeah, somebody, your mum's friend, they had like interval drinks, you know, on Zoom during the oh, performance. Oh, that was, that was like someone, yeah, that was someone I saw on Twitter. But yeah. yeah, I saw so many people on my Instagram who got like dressed up for it. Yeah. And then I even saw a girl that I knew from university. She had... Uh, she and her housemates had like printed out tickets like fake tickets that they'd made on like photoshop and then had like an ice cream in the interval and yeah i think that's so lovely yeah and also it was such a lovely moment of kind of collective yeah um 
entertainment in that like you knew lots of other people watching it with you mm-hmm. both the people in the recording obviously back in the day but also the other people on lockdown yeah both your friends yeah and people that you don't know which was so yeah, cool absolutely so it's really exciting and i think they've got a couple of great ones coming up next this week so jane eyre is this week i think for the national theater life thing um and then also they've released um, a recording of fleabag which i've never seen so i'm really excited to um get involved and watch that because i meant to watch the the bbc show um the actual tv show as well um so i'm gonna get out all of that and you know one of the great things as well is there's um you know anything that's being released you is every anything that's been due to be released that they're keeping on so not any hollywood films but uh, they're finding ways to sort of um they're finding ways to release it in accessible ways that keep the that mm. keep you know keep the ball rolling. You know, misbehavior and Emma, which we've talked about on past episodes, have both been released on streaming services um, now, yeah. um, which is great because they those movies deserve support. Um, and also people need to have something to do. So we can say definitely that I think it's Pathé.com, isn't it, that are releasing misbehavior? Um, yeah. So they've released it via I think. It is actually next week, which will be the week where you're listening to the podcast, yes. so the week of the 14th. They're releasing it on Sky, Amazon Prime, yeah. iTunes, all of that. But similarly to the situation with Emma, you pay, I think it is the equivalent of like £15, as if you were kind of going to the cinema yeah. to download it because it's been brought forward early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would highly recommend doing that, particularly if you if you kind of do want to see this movie that you might have gone to see in the cinema if you'd had the chance. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah absolutely so we will definitely keep shouting these kind of things out um and as well you know um, we'll keep talking as well about you know places you can go to support artists or people responding to the pandemic you know i think one of the most important things to do is to keep on communicating with each other um, and to keep on um supporting each other because uh, in lots of ways normal business isn't ongoing so we have to find out an alternative way of doing it until we're all let back outside which hopefully will be soon I do hope so. And I think it's, uh, yeah, well, I think, yeah, everyone hopes so. But I do think that, you know, something like the National Theatre Live uh, broadcast of One Man, Two Governors, I'm sure they picked it because it's funny. Yes. Which it was. And James Corden is obviously a very well-known actor starring yeah. in it. Yeah. So it was like a really good, like, first pick for that reason. Yeah. Um, and I imagine people watched it who wouldn't have necessarily like say that you know when you do the national theater in the cinema they wouldn't have necessarily gone to the cinema to watch it yeah Uh, by making it kind of universal and open to everyone to watch you're probably going to get people who then want to go back to the theaters when they reopen yeah and are you know kind of won over by the magic of theater Mm. uh, which is really cool and exciting so yeah it's great if that happens and definitely i've been saying that oh another great thing that i've seen recently is eurovision again have you heard of this? No. So it's a it's a group of Eurovision lovers who have now also kind of been affiliated mm. with the actual Eurovision. So Eurovision's cancelled. If you don't know me, Eurovision is the most one of the most important social dates in my calendar. It's just how it is. I love Eurovision yeah. so much. Iceland had a huge bop for this year. I'm so sad they're not going to get to play it, but it's been rescheduled for next year, etc. But there's a group online called Eurovision Again, and you can follow them on Twitter, where they basically, um, every Saturday at 8pm, they run a live stream of a random Eurovision, past Eurovision recording. Um, everything from right. the beginning to the end with the voting and everything like that. And they announce at 7.45pm, this is UK time, I believe, um, so GMT, um, what, the, what year it's going to be. 
and where you can watch it and you can live stream and you can tweet about it and there's a chat room I think as well and then basically everyone watches it you watch it from, they watch it from beginning to end and then you can vote again so basically then the next day or so they announce the results of who would have won this this oh, time so around fun. so I'm definitely planning to hop on they did 2009 last year last week which I'm really annoyed about that I didn't hear about before because Alexander Reback won that year Alexander Reback's one of my most mm. favorite of all Eurovision winners but um I'm assuming they're going to do the modernish ones so not the ones from like the 60s but yeah I don't know for sure who knows and it could be running for however long but basically yeah I'd really recommend that I'll actually tweet it out on our Twitter as well so you can all yeah, see it please do um because I what well, I'll be tuning in some Saturday so maybe we can run a little what well, we can run a little um run a little watch together Francesca um so yeah and oh speaking of our social medias um we have a little announcement to tell you in a second but right now just to say as we always do um our twitter is at real llw we tweet a lot of the time on there we say when episodes are coming out we say what we're up to we also have an instagram which is loves labors watched um where we um are similarly active and we also have a gmail an email more generally um loves labors watched at gmail.com where you can email us business inquiries questions things we've missed commentary anything like that hook um seek us out on there but um i'll actually pass the bigger ish announcement for this episode on to francesca about new developments in our sort of online presence yeah, so excitingly, um, from now onwards, um, if you're so inclined and you would like to, you can actually become patrons of Love's Labour's Watched. Um, Patreon is a service which allows creators um, to connect with um, listeners and supporters, um, their quote-unquote fan base, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, get uh, support. So, uh, Helena, do you want to just explain like yeah. what that support involves? Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's great. So we basically we have so many ideas for expansion, um, and we have so many way you know ways in which we want to grow the show. And it seemed to us the best way to do it was through a Patreon. Obviously, the episodes are always going to be free, always going to be um, completely free to access for everybody but we wanted to open up yeah. the patreon to basically connect more with our audience um so we um basically will have at the moment we have uh two tiers at this point in time and that may expand depending on what we can offer um our first tier which is a five pound a month support basically gives you access to uh, bonus content uh what that will be uh, could be extra chats that we took out of the episodes it could be special q a's that we've done it could be basically kind of anything that we extra that we have recorded specially or just extra stuff for that hasn't made it basically into the main episode um and then for our second tier which is a 10 pound a month supporter kind of pledge um we have that bonus content as well as opportunity for you to recommend to us um a piece of um, art or anything really that you think that we should get involved with and we should read or listen to or watch or anything like that and we will pick one from a supporter every month to talk about on the podcast so that means two supporter-led recommendations per pod um per month in each of our podcasts um and we'll also shout out every single recommendation we get anyway um so basically what we're trying to do here is you really want to involve you know our supporters and our listeners a bit more um not just with the monetary pledge but just with more stuff um and as we grow and as we expand we'll be able to add more for our supporters to involve get involved with we're hoping to do things like ask me anything live chats q a's um things like that um and 
you know, as we grow as a uh, as a piece of art and as a podcast in general, so you can help us grow as well is basically what the idea for a Patreon is. So obviously there's absolutely no obligation. The podcast will always be free um, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. But this is like an extra level for us in terms of being able to grow as a business, grow as a podcast and also connect with you guys a bit more. So our Patreon is www.patreon.com slash watched. All the info about what we're going to do is on there. So, and it's uh, links to it are on our Twitter and on our Instagram and on our SoundCloud page. So if you want to support us, please do support us and then we'll be able to connect with you more and to provide more great content for you. Um, and we're really interested in growing as much as we can um, and becoming even more awesome than we already are. So this is like a first step for us, I suppose. So yeah, and thanks for listening and thanks for supporting. Um, you know without that kind of listenership we can't really do anything so this is more than just us chatting to one another this is also something that we enjoy doing and we hope you enjoy too so absolutely yeah um so yeah please get in touch and get involved if you would like we would also as helena said we always love hearing listener recommendations and listener thoughts it's always really interesting to us um, especially when we've had these interviews with authors or um directors or other um filmmakers or tv whoever it is like it's always really interesting to get your thoughts as well um on the the movie or the book in question so Yeah. yeah please do get in touch and it's been great to do the podcast again in this virtual in this virtual way. It's been really fun. Yeah, virtual world. Um, so we will be back in two weeks for the next episode, which will feature another interview, we believe. So stay tuned for announcements about that. Um, check us out on our social media, connect with us, whatever. Have a good week, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy yourselves, you know take it easy if you can (laughs) and shout out as always a shout out this week as was to the nhs in the uk as well just to say that they're doing an absolute great job absolutely and um yeah if you any support you can give them is always useful i know in my on my when my parents lived they started a big bake baking drive and they deliver the baked goods every day which is quite nice Um, oh that's so nice yeah yeah that's also something to think about but yeah until next time that's us we're off Bye. (laughs) bye